Is there any truth to the alien abduction phenomenon? And if so, how do you stop it from happening? We'll explore that question and a lot more on this week's Spirit Answers podcast. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you for having me on. Of course, it's my pleasure. So today we have on, we're very fortunate to have on uh, Joe Jordan with us with CE4 Research Group. And uh, what I understand uh, from your previous, uh, some of the previous work that you've done is that there is a cover-up going on in the UFO and alien abduction phenomenon. Uh, but it's not coming from a place I think that many people would realize. And it's really, really fascinating. But before we get to that cover up, what I kind of want to do first is is take us back into uh, how you got started in this. And from what I understand, uh, you your beginnings really came from an interest in just the UFO uh, phenomenon itself. And I think it came by way of a certain book with Roswell. Isn't that right? That's true. And, and actually, it wasn't that I had an interest in UFO phenomenon. It was actually that I had an interest in science fiction. And mm. what happened was um, 1992, I had earned a bunch of vacation time and an opportunity to take that time and do some travel. Um, my brother was in the Air Force. My younger brother was in a 20-year career, and he was stationed up in Elmendorf in uh, Alaska which is uh, right outside of Anchorage. And I thought, you know, I should go visit him. Great opportunity to see something I'd never seen before, which was Alaska. Um, I was going to take my son and my, my mom with me at the same time. That way my son could see his cousins who he hadn't seen. And uh, my son was only six at the time, but, you know, he had a couple older cousins up there, a couple years older, and uh, give them an opportunity to, to visit. And my mom was going to go up and stay a month. And she would keep my son there for the month. I only had like 14 days total. And we took the flight up, but we flew out of Orlando. And flying out of Orlando to Anchorage, Alaska is like 10 and a half hours of travel time on a plane. And remember, this is 1992. We didn't have all the technology. We didn't have iPods, iPads, iPhones, all that stuff to be able to pass the time on a plane, you know. Some movies, if you're lucky, on a local flight, uh, domestic flight, but not much else. So I went to the local kiosk and see if I could find something to read to pass the time on the plane. So I'm looking around, looking around. I looked at the magazines first and then didn't see anything there that caught my attention. And then went over to the paperback section. I figured I'd pick up something there, you know, that passed the time. And I was an avid science fiction reader uh, when I was in high school. I'd love to read science fiction. Science fiction to me was escapism, kind of like what gaming is (laughs) to people today, you know, the young people today. Back then, they didn't have the gaming. So to pick up a book and to delve into it and to be able to escape to other parts of the universe, you know, with other life forms and other, you know, worlds, that was such a fantastic thing to me. That's why I enjoyed science fiction the way I did. So I went through and I figured I'd look for a science fiction book to read, see if there was something new I hadn't read before. So I'm going through the paperbacks and one book caught my attention. And I'm looking at the cover and I'm going, oh, this looks like a science fiction book. And 
I picked it up, I turned it over to read what it was about, look at the synopsis on the back. Well, it wasn't reading like science fiction on the backside. Um, it said it was a scientific investigation, research investigation into something that happened to a place called uh, Roswell, New Mexico. And, but it had to do with spaceships. And I'm like, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Science fiction is fiction. Okay, it's escapism. It's not reality. And yet this book was blurring that fine line that separates reality from fiction. And that alone caught my attention on the book. And I said, well, I got to read this. I got to see what they're talking about here. That This is actually a reality and not fiction. So I purchased the book, and that book was UFO Crash at Roswell. And like I said, I turned it over and read the backside, and it reads nonfiction. That book consumed me. When I started into it and I realized what was going on in, in this book and this research, I thought, I'd never heard of this before. It caught my attention. When I got back from the trip, I finished the book quickly, and all it did was leave me with a gazillion questions you know, that I needed answers for because I've always been an inquisitive type of person. So I didn't know where to go for them. You know, at the time, this was pre-internet. Um, I think I had one of those web TV or something that just started up, you know, but no computer yet. Um, I'm watching TV about two weeks after I got back, local TV there in Florida, uh, out of Orlando. And they were running us few minutes special during the new show uh introducing new businesses in orlando like for tourism and stuff uh orlando's huge for tourism they got all the big you know theme parks there um there's a area that they're located on called international drive so you want a business that gets the the tourists location 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 remember that's all that's what they tell you go to international drive well, this particular one that they were talking about on the news was actually on International Drive. And a gentleman had just opened up um, a UFO museum. And they were giving a, a walkthrough and talking to the gentleman and his wife that opened up this UFO museum. And it was set up like a historical museum. You know, there's, there's no real artifacts from UFOs, but it gave you a history walkthrough of the UFO phenomenon. And I thought, this guy can answer questions. So I made a trip over as soon as I could on a Saturday morning. I met the guy when he opened up. Him and his wife gave me a, a walk through to the museum. There wasn't anybody else there but us. And um, when I got to the end of it, you know, you come back out. And um, he's got a, a book counter there with magazines and books all related to the UFO phenomenon. And I remember seeing something there that was weird at the time. Um, I saw books that seemed to be some type of spiritual aspect. And I thought, why is this here in this UFO museum? You know, why is this spiritual, spirituality stuff here? It doesn't make sense to me. Matter of fact, the UFO phenomenon didn't make sense. I didn't have any interest in it. I didn't have any knowledge of it. But, but yet I just walked through and got a cram course on it. And I'm like, oh, this stuff's weird. 
And then here I get to the end, and there's these other books that are weird and magazines that are weird because they had some spirituality thing. I'm like, how's this even connected? I just let that go at the time. Um, he saw that I had a very keen interest in this subject matter. I ended up making a couple trips back over to talk to him and uh, with many more questions. And as we became friends, uh, we talked. He opened up a lot more, and he said, "You know." Um, would you be interested in actually doing research yourself, you know, instead of coming to me for the research? And I said, uh, you know, what do you mean? He says, well, you know, there's an organization called the Mutual UFO Network. They've been around since 1969. They're the largest grassroots uh, uh, organization in the world for research investigations into UFOs. And it's a non-for-profit organization. And he said, there's, you know, thousands of members worldwide. And he says, you can actually become a MUFON member, become a MUFON field investigator, and actually get involved with doing sighting reports and investigations. And I thought, wow, that would be cool. And uh, he says, okay, I'll hook you up with it. He introduced me to how to become a member, and I went through that process. And he says, now here's what you got to do to become a field investigator. And this gentleman at one time had been the state section director for Orange County, which is Orlando, Florida. <coughs> and um, a state section director is put in charge of a county or a number of counties for MUFON. And then they would train up field investigators under them, and that would become a chapter uh, for that county or number of counties. And whenever reports come in, like through the sheriff's department, police department, or the newspapers or whatever, they would give them to you to do the investigation. You have to make yourself known to them and say, hey, I know this sounds crazy, and you guys probably don't want to deal with this stuff, but we do. So we set it up to where at least they're comfortable enough to say, hey, we got this report in if you guys want it. And then we would go out and follow up on it because police don't have time to do that stuff. They're chasing crime. So I went through the process, got my field investigator status working with him, and then he says, you're from Bavard County, right, over on the coast by the Space Center. And I said, yeah. He says, MUFON doesn't have a chapter there. Um, why don't you consider starting a chapter? I said, well, what's involved with that? He says, well, you can become a state section director. I can put you in contact with the state director of Florida. And he says, uh, I know him. And he says, uh, with my referral, I can see if they would like to appoint you as state section director and let you start a chapter over in your county. And I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be cool. You know, I said, how cool would it be to be doing investigations in the area of the Kennedy Space Center? You know, the, the most highly guarded airspace in the, in the world just about, you know, because whenever there's launch time and stuff going on, there can't be nothing around. So, yeah, there's a lot of security there. So I thought this would be cool. So I took it on. He introduced me to the state director. Uh, they accepted me to become state section director. And as a state section director, some of the things that I had to do for MUFON was hold a monthly meeting for the public, free, open meeting, where we can talk about the subject. We can encourage uh, uh, people to join the organization because, like I said, it's not for profit and they need funds to be able to support the work that they do and case files and stuff like that. And they get that some from membership and a lot from donations and contributions to the organization. But membership is something they do strive for. 
So I eventually started holding monthly meetings at the Cocoa Library and uh, over on the coast and uh, open to the public. And often I went running. And that's how I started into the UFO career. But keep in mind, the way I saw this phenomenon at the time, I was an agnostic humanist. Okay. I didn't believe in God. I believed in evolution. I believed all that stuff. And I was a nuts and bolts person. I said, you know what? If this is real, you need to show me. You need to show me evidence, which I wasn't seeing any, but I was willing to become involved and see if there would be any. And that's the way I went at this is you got to show me. You can't just tell me a story. That's that's believing. That's not evidence. So I went at this hard and heavy trying to find that evidence. As an agnostic humanist, that's what it was going to take. Okay, It wasn't about belief, which a lot of people it is. And that was my start into this whole phenomenon. Yeah, excuse me, an incredible start. And uh, I would think at the time you probably weren't alone, right? Many people that you're probably interacting with in MUFON were, were probably like yourself, didn't have much of a spiritual background or they didn't approach us from a spiritual background as much, much more of a concrete, physical nuts and bolts background. Isn't that right? Correct. The, the MUFON is all about the scientific investigation of the UFO phenomena. So it's going to be nuts and bolts. Right. And uh, that'll be a crucial part of, uh, of your story as we get further along here. But uh, before we get to that part, um, I, I think it's it, one of the most important parts of your story in, in understanding how you got to where you're at now is that MUFON at the time, from what I understand, they were really uh, heavily interested in, in the UFO phenomenon itself, but not as much in the abduction part of it. And I think that is kind of what allowed your uh, or opened up an opportunity for you with starting CE4. And so I, I, I believe we're kind of we're, are we getting to that point yet in, mm -hmm. the, in the timeline? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So kind of explain that for us. How did this how did the start of CE4 come about? Well, as we started holding the monthly meetings, you know, just, just imagine, you, you got a room that the, the library's given you for free, all the video equipment to use, you know, to show videos and uh, pictures and stuff you need. Everything's given to you, you know, saying, here, as long as you don't charge people, you can use the room and all of our equipment. Well, what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to advertise that there's a meeting. So I put this little sign together and it said, you know, UFO meeting open to the public. You ever think about what would happen if you stuck one of those on a meeting room? I really didn't think about it. Um, you get all sorts of people show up for this. I mean, all sorts of people. And I eventually got accustomed to those <laughs> different types of people coming in. And they all had stories. And that's what was fascinating about the whole thing. Um, here we were to share information, but yet they definitely wanted to share information because they had nobody to talk to. People that had sighting experiences, people that had abduction experiences, people that had sleep paralysis, people that had contact experience, meaning they were getting information in their minds from these entities, whatever. All sorts of things coming at us. Um, and I would listen to all of it, you know, and try to take it all in and try to see how it all would fit to make this puzzle picture come to 
you know, fruition. Um, the one that caught our attention the most were this type of person and group of people that seemed to be coming quite regular that were really looking for help. Um, they would share their experiences, but as I listened to them, these people had been through horrors, I, I should say. Their experiences they had had were life-changing, mental-changing. They These people, they were almost suffering from, and if probably were, from post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms, okay? These people were distraught, and they were really looking for us for help. Well, we didn't have the answers. You know, we were there looking for answers just like they were. Um, and these people were the people that had claimed that they had been abducted by aliens. Not a good experience. Different from people who said they were contactees that were having good experiences, communications, and being enlightened by the entities. The abduction experience was not a good thing. Um, and the more I listened to these people, the more it logically made sense in my mind that if we're going to be looking for answers for this phenomenon, we needed to get as close to the source of it as we could. Well, chasing sighting reports, just following up on what somebody saw after the event, sometimes days after the event, doing that over and over and over kind of was like chasing your tail, you know? The best you would get out of that is seeing similarities between sighting reports. And that's what MUFON does, is compile report after report after report, trying to be able to make it to where they can query those reports, looking for similar things that are recurring uh, around the world about the experience, about UFO sightings. Um, the abductions were different than that. The abduction story to me was a person telling me that they had encountered these entities in an experience, abduction experience, the same entities that we were chasing after the fact in a sighting report. So logically thinking, these people are the front line of this event, this phenomenon. We needed to be talking to them more than chasing sighting reports. We weren't going to stop doing our sighting reports or move on. But we realized the focus needed to be on the abduction experience if we were going to get real answers. And I talked to my fellow field investigators that were helping me at the time with the chapter, and they agreed. But 1993, 94, at that time, MUFON was only basically looking at sighting reports. They weren't structured to investigate the abduction experience. They had one gentleman. Um, John Carpenter out of Springfield, Missouri, a psychologist that was taken over handling that aspect for MUFON. But there was no investigation process. There was no procedure to go through of questions. There was none of that at the time. Um, there is now. There's uh, the ex experiencer research team that MUFON has put together. It's quite a big team. But none of that existed back then. So we talked about this amongst ourselves, and we said, Let's go into this research and see what we can find. Let's put our focus into that. We won't back off from the sighting investigations, but we'll actually focus more on the abduction 
to try and get answers. Um, I realized that we couldn't do it under the auspice of MUFON because MUFON had no structure. So I said, how about if we just put together a separate entity, research group, but keep it open to peer review at all times. We always share our work. MUFON's welcome to look at it at any time. They thought, great idea. So we bounced the name around, and eventually we settled on CE4 Research Group. And the CE4 stands, that's you see that here, um, the CE4 is Close Encounter of the Fourth Kind, which represents the abduction experience. J. Allen Hynek uh, had put together the different CE classifications, CE1, CE2, CE3. Most people are very understanding of what the close encounter of the third kind is. That's contact with an entity. I mean, we know that from Spielberg's famous movie. The close encounter of the fourth kind is dealing with the abduction experience. And then there's also a close encounter of fifth kind and sixth kind. Um, but we decided to just name the group for what it was. Close Encounter Fourth Kind Research Group, CE4 Research Group. So now we got a group. Now we got something to start working under, and away we went. But before we started into this, I talked to my guys, and I said, guys, I have a fear here, and this fear, I've got to deal with this before we start into it. And my fear was that we would do more damage to these four people working with them than what they're already dealing with. I did not want to make that happen. I did not want to cause any more problems than what they were already dealing with from the experience. So what we decided to do was is learn as much about the research as we could that was already in existence from the leading researchers in the realm that were there. Um, a lot of big names were there at that time. John Mack, Bud Hopkins, uh, David Jacobs. There was a lot of big ones that were there and more besides just them. So we consumed all of the stuff we could get our hands on to educate ourselves as much as possible so that we knew what not to say and we knew how to ask the right questions without causing issues with these people as we interviewed them. So now we're off and running as CE4. That's how it came about. Hmm. Absolutely fascinating. And uh, I think remarkable that you you took the initiative to do that uh because as as we'll soon find out many of these experiences were were not positive to say the least and and in many cases downright frightening so if you could kind of take us into what you discovered as you uh started to understand these experiences a little bit more what were you finding well there was a, a commonality in the experience that a lot of them were sharing um, but yet there's a lot of differences at the same time, and that's a puzzling aspect of the whole thing. In other words, they were all talking about being taken by some type of alien entity, you know, for medical experimentation or whatever. But the thing is, uh, you never had reports of two entities from two different reports looking identical. Um, the places they were taken, whatever they thought they were taken to a craft was never the same as one before. So it was, it was almost like the experience is tailored personally for that person to believe the experience. Um, but the experiences were always horrific in nature. They're forcefully taken against their will. Um, 
and you know they never know when it's going to happen. They live in fear of it happening again. The medical procedures that they remember happening to them during the experience uh, are very horrific and very intrusive. And usually, there's never any uh, thing for pain that they're given. Sometimes, you know, the entities they report putting their hand over their eyes or their face, and then the pain goes away. But a lot of times, the the story is just like how a scientists would treat a lab rat. You know, we don't consider that they feel pain. We don't consider any of that stuff, how they feel. You know, they're there because we're using them as test subjects. And a lot of people report that that's the way they feel from the experience. And it, it's a very, this is why the trauma comes in. You know, living in fear of it happening again, that you have no control over it, that's a horrific thing to have to deal with. You know, who knows, you know, how that, I mean, I can't imagine how somebody can live with that. And you can't share the story with anybody. I mean, your, your spouse isn't going to believe you. You're going to think you're crazy. Your doctor's going to think you're crazy if you tell him. That's why they don't do tell your doctor. Um, you can't tell friends or relatives. The next thing you know, you're, you know you're, you're ostracized for this crazy thing that you're talking about. And that's why it's kept secret. And they, they have to live with it. And, you know, and try to cope in whatever manner they can, whether it's drinking or drugs or uh, or whatever. Some of them even look for other avenues of help that were supposedly available. Um, and that's something I came across in the research, too, is a lot of the experiencers had, were talking about a type of spirituality that they had um, picked up. Um, that seemed to be some type of hope for help. Um, didn't seem to be actually working, but they were looking into it because there was nothing else available. You know, the, the best that they could offer, that anybody could offer was, let's put you in a, uh, you know, a, a room full of other experiencers and you all boo-hoo over your experiences. And how, how's that going to make you feel better? You know? It makes you realize you're not alone in going through this experience, but it doesn't stop the experience, and it doesn't right. make the pain go away. You know, support groups, they're not, that's not a cure-all for, for this. But that's all there was, except for this spirituality that I was seeing that they were connected with. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm, this is nothing I can look at scientifically, the spirituality that they were involved with or looking into. But... It is a piece of the puzzle. And if it's a piece of the puzzle, I have to look at it. I have to find out what does this got to do with it. And it, as I started looking at it, something came to mind. When I realized what these people were dealing with, it was familiar to me. And I had to look back, where have I seen this before? And you know where I saw it before? Where's that? When I came out through that museum walk. Remember I told you yeah. I saw these books and magazines that the guy had available there, and they had some spiritual nature to them, and I didn't understand why they were here and what part of this it even you know, had to do with it? Yeah. This was it. This was it. Wow. These people were looking into an area, the only area that was offering any help at all, whether it be real help or false help, but it was something they could 
they could grab a hold of. And that was the New Age metaphysical realm. Hmm. Um, they had all sorts of ideas, you know, that they thought they could help these people with. And, you know, it's human nature to feel that there must be something bigger than us. And that attraction was being filled by this connection with the New Age metaphysical belief system, which is pretty much a religious belief system in itself, you know, quite different from Christianity or other, you know, isms. Uh, even though that every ism under the sun is accepted by the New Age metaphysical realm, but Christianity. Right. So seeing that this was some kind of connection to this phenomenon with them, I had to explore it. And as I explored it, as an agnostic humanist, I also felt that it was filling that hole inside of me that was not filled about a connection with something bigger. Who are we? Where do we come from? You know, what happens to us? These, this same group, New Age metaphysical realm, was starting to offer those answers, trying to, and I, in and their I own way. I don't want to interrupt you, but I do want to ask you real quick. Did you even realize at this point in your life that you, that you had that, that you, you were missing something or, or did this just kind of create that awareness for you that there was, that there was this spiritual component to life that you, you just weren't aware of until now? It was when I saw this, that that's when that came up. Mm. I didn't realize I was missing something before, mm. you know, I, I thought that, you know, I got this. That was my, that was my idea. You yeah. Know? Anything yeah. that happened to me, it was my it was my issues, you know. Um, cause and effect. If I did something wrong, the effect was not going to be good. If I did something good, the effect was going to be good. That was how an agnostic lives, right? You know. Um, but this was changing that. That's a powerful As, moment. Yeah, it is. And I thought, you know what? I got to look at this even more. So I went down that rabbit hole into the new age and metaphysical full bore and it wasn't long before i accepted all of that teaching hook line and sinker it was answering all the questions that i had you know or not even asked yet <laughs> but it was like yeah this makes all sense you know it was, it was crazy stuff but at least it was answers that i wasn't getting now and then i saw the attraction to to this that these people were having it was better than having no hope at all, you know, but it was a false hope later I found out, but it was better than no hope at all. You know, no hope is horrible. And this was all that was available at the time for these people. Otherwise sitting in a support group, boohooing with the next guy, you know? So I thought, okay, I understand why they're here, why they're looking at this. So the more I got caught up in it, the more I was accepting of it. And the more that I got involved to the point to where I was an absolute practitioner myself, and I was so caught up in it and excited about what I was learning that I was teaching other people what I had learned. I went full bore. I was converting my so-called Christian friends. I said, you guys are wrong. I said, that's not true. That Bible is not true. Look at this. This is, this is reality over here. You know? So I was like, on a mission to preach a gospel to the people that had the real gospel. And sadly, 
I did do a good job. I converted a lot of Christian friends to the New Age. And why? Because they really didn't know what they believed. You know, the New Age has got a good line. They can sell you. And if you sell it good enough, you can bring somebody in, you know, through that deception. Yeah. And that's that's where I ended up for some time. But it wasn't until about four years later that somebody else offered me something else. And it was at a time in 1996. Um, that was a busy year for us. We were involved in investigations. I got caught up in this event at the Kennedy Space Center with uh, uh, another research, a couple of other research groups um, that were one in Jet Propulsion Laboratory area out in Pasadena and another one just north of me in Edgewater, Florida, another UFO group. And we got involved with a demonstration. And I, I mean a real demonstration where you go out and you hold signs up and everything um, in front of the Kennedy Space Center. And the guy at Jet Propulsion Laboratory is the one that asked me to get involved because he knew I was the MUFON guy at, at the location near the Kennedy Space Center. And he convinced me to help him out. I still had my old radical ways in me, and I thought, yeah, what's what's better than a good old-fashioned demonstration, you know? And uh, he sold me on the idea. It was 1996, and November 4th was the scheduled launch of the Mars Global Surveyor from the Kennedy Space Center. It was our return to Mars after um, not being there since the mid-70s. Viking were the last ones that went up in the mid-70s. And Viking took a bunch of pictures. And you remember what they took pictures of that caught people's attention? I I don't. The face on Mars. Oh, okay. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. And people were all puzzled since the mid-70s, and here it is now, the mid-90s. 20 years, they've been wondering, what was that? And they had NASA's pictures of it. Plain as day, it looks like a face. That can't just naturally form, okay? They're saying it had to have been made by somebody's hands. So this whole quest for this information has been around 20 years. And here NASA's talking about sending the Global Surveyor, which is a satellite that they were sending up, not to land on Mars, but to map Mars by photograph. They were going to map the entire surface, almost the entire surface, mainly the areas that they were going to be sending the, uh, the craft to, the surveyors that run around on the ground. They were getting ahead and laying all that footwork down. So. These guys from Jet Propulsion Laboratory that were all caught up in the face on Mars, (laughs) conspiracy, I'll say, is they said, what better opportunity to get new pictures of the face? Well, being that this guy worked at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which was going to control the mission, he also knew that they had not scheduled photography to be done over that area called the Plain of Sidonia. So his idea was, let's do a campaign, a demonstration, public, get the public's attention, get NASA's attention, saying that we're paying for this flight out of our taxes. We'd like that place re-photographed. Good idea, right? 
So we did this. We put on a demonstration out in front of the Kennedy Space Center, went through all the footwork to make it happen. I got lots of good pictures. We got press coverage. NASA people came out and talked to us. Richard Hoagland himself was there, the guy that wrote the Monuments of Mars, all about the face on Mars. Uh, he even showed up for us. So we were real busy involved in all of this stuff, plus my group, plus my research with experiencers, plus I work full time, you know? So it's like I was pretty wore out. And I had this girlfriend at the time. I wasn't married. I had a girlfriend at the time that was working with us. And I'm glad she worked with us because working with abduction experiencers can be a difficult thing sometimes because of the sexual nature of the experience. And most of your experiencers are women. So sitting in a room talking to a woman about the sexual ex experimentation that was done on her uh, is uncomfortable and could be a risky thing. So to have my girlfriend working with me as a fellow investigator was perfect because I could let her do those interviews and then she could share the information with us. Well, the thing about my, my girlfriend and I at the time, I was full-blown New Age practitioner. She was a professing Christian. Not a walk-the-walk -walk Christian, but a professing Christian. So we made an agreement. No politics, no religion between us. That way we don't get into arguments. <laughs> so that was, the, that was the deal. But it came to a point where one Saturday afternoon, I was at her place, and she realized that I was exhausted. And she said, you know, I think these things are getting to you, and I think what you've been dealing with is there's a very sinister nature to it behind it. I said, what? I don't know what you mean. She says, I think there's an evil that is behind this, and I think you need protection from it. Well, I reached into my pocket and I pulled out my gemstones that I carried with me. This one protects you from this. This one gives you this. You know, I was in all in the Christology. And she says, no, no, no. That's not the protection I'm talking about. I'm talking about something much better than that. And I said, what do you got? That's always open to something new. And then she reaches over, grabs the Bible, and says, it's in here. And I said, no, 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 no. We agreed not to go there. That's got nothing to do with this phenomenon that I work with. And, you know, that's that. I thought, okay, no more of that. And she says, I really think you should look at this. And I said, we agreed not to do this. And she says, all right, let me put it this way. She says, you tell everybody you're the most open-minded, objective investigator there is. And I said, yeah, I'm proud to say that. She says, then you'll look at this? I just been had. Okay. Don't make the girlfriend mad. You got a few minutes. Show me what you got. In that few minutes, she shared with me the gospel message and the hope in that message as I had never heard it before. I mean, I grew up in the church with my family taking me to church. I grew I was in the church all the way till I was a senior in high school and I got disgruntled with it and left, and the world ate me up. But she showed me something that I had heard before, but not like that. And in that moment, I said, 
you know what? I want that protection. What do I got to do to get that protection? And she showed me. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I accepted his protection in doing what I was doing. So here, looking at this, I came into the UFO phenomenon wearing the glasses and the perception, perspective of a, a agnostic humanist. I was looking at this phenomenon from that perspective. And then I got caught up into the New Age. So then I had the opportunity to look at the same phenomenon through the perspective of the New Age metaphysical glasses. And still, the, I wasn't getting the answers that I needed. And now I'm a Christian, and I'm going to be looking at this phenomenon through a whole new set of lenses, another perspective, and that's the perspective of God's Word. And that's where I started into the next 25 years of my work. Wow. I love that. I love how... Uh you were able to find truth in Christ uh, in a way where I, I see it so ha I see it happen so often in these testimonies where God met you exactly where you were at at that time. You realized that there was there was another layer of protection that you needed that you didn't have at that time. You you, you still had an opening to whatever it is that was going on in these heavy uh, abduction experiences, these traumatic events, and He was able to use what it was that you were doing at the time through speaking to these people to show you the truth. I just think it's absolutely phenomenal uh, the way that he comes down to us and, and reaches us exactly where we're at when we're ready to uh, uh, experience that truth and we're open to it. Uh, so, so absolutely incredible. I, I don't think it sounds like it couldn't have happened uh, any earlier. That was the exact right time at the exact in the exact right situation where that you, you could have heard that message and believed it. Absolutely. It's almost that, where it's almost when you look back on it, I was at my lowest low, and the only place to look up was up, and he's right there with a hand reaching down. You know, it seems like almost every testimony is the same way. When yeah. you get to the point where there's no place else to reach to, you reach up, and there's already a hand coming down to help you. Yeah, beautifully stated. Getting back real quick to the uh, the experiences that you're understanding from the people that are having these these encounters, um, you make a point that they there were some similarities there. There were three similarities, and one of them we've kind of touched on, uh, which was then some of, several of these people had a new age or a cult background, and actually, and I think that kind of overlaps as well with, with what you were talking about that this was also giving them a hope. Uh, beyond what it was that they were going through. And I, and I can't remember uh, if, if you had already touched on at this point, did you mention that, I, that, that the, that the beings themselves were also coming with this message? That's uh, something this we, that, that's something we realized too, is looking at the mm -hmm. communication. And that's, right. that comes a lot with the people that are what they call contactees, which is a different type of experience with these entities. Uh, most of the contactees are a positive uh of a positive nature mm -hmm. experience. Um, but I, I've, I've learned that it's all part of this grand illusion that's being perpetrated. Mm -hmm. um, the people that have the contact experience are, are told that they're chosen for a special purpose. Uh, 
you know, they're here to be the 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 the, the ministers of this new of this got alien gospel to the world, you know, to humanity. Um, there's a lot of cults out there to preach that exact thing, you know, that uh, these 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 superior you know beings that are so much better than us and so much spirit more spiritual than us. They have this message for us of hope, but it's it's always a message that is opposite of God's message. And, and this is one of those things I call the red flags of ufology. Um, and there's a lot of red flags in ufology, things that make you go, oh, wait a minute, that's a red flag. Why is that there? And what does this have to get to do with anything? And when you start getting enough red flags, you just got to stop and relook at what you're dealing with here. And that's what I've been dealing with for 20-some years is I got so many red flags that it's like, uh, excuse me, but you need to look at these. If you truly believe this without questioning it, you really need to look at all these red flags and re-question it, you know? Yeah. Um, which is what an investigator would do, not just somebody that takes it on, hey, I just want to believe this, you know? They don't care what the evidence shows. Um, these contact experiencers, they get messages. They get communication with these entities more than the ones that are the abductions. You do have some communication during abduction experiences, but most of it comes to the contact experience. And some abduction experiencers that have the horrific experience eventually have an experience where a different entity comes in, uh, a more spiritual humanoid entity, and they say that you had to go through this for you know, a better purpose, whatever. You know, you could have just told me the straight that would have accepted it. Didn't have to put me through all that. So that's another red flag, by the way. But the communication that they get is the messages is always anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible, anti-creation. So if we're dealing with entities from somewhere across the universe and they're coming all the way here to Earth just to bash Christianity, does that make sense? We have not not much. We have so many different belief systems on this planet, and none of them agree with each other. But yet they come here to bash that one. Something's wrong with that picture. And I take it back. I say that they don't all agree with each other. Actually, they do. How many belief systems are in this world? Well, I, I, I know the answer to this, and, I, and it's, it's two. It's two. You're right. It's the, ones that profess Je- the one that professes Jesus Christ as Lord and God of the Bible is real, and he's the creator of the universe and everything in it, and then all the others that don't. You're right. There's two. And that's something I talked about in the, earlier is, I had an opportunity when we went to do a conference in Springfield, Missouri. Um, I had one of my partners with me that helped me co-found CE4. And I said, when we got to Springfield, I said, I wonder what the spiritual warfare is like in this town. He says, what? What do you mean? How would you know what it's like? And so we get an example, like a litmus paper test. How do you do that? I said, you ever been to a New Age bookstore? He goes, nope, never stepped inside of one. I stepped inside of many of them. So I picked up a phone book. That's back when we had phone books. And 
I just started going down the list, and sure enough, there was a ton of new age stores there, bookstores, trinket stores, whatever. Um, I found one that seemed to be a big one. I said, we're going to take a visit. He goes, you're serious? We're going to a new age bookstore? I said, yep. So got in the rental car. We found this place. This place was as big as the supermarket, and it was one store. And when we walked into the place, I said, I'm going to take you for a tour. And you start out, and there's a section on New Age stuff. There's a section on metaphysical stuff. There's a section on Buddhism. There's a section on Hinduism. There's a section on this one and 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 this one. It's like everything under the sun is under one roof except one thing and that's anything that's got to do with christianity wow that's a great said, point that's the warfare that these people are dealing with in this town wow incredible incredible that really puts it all in a in a, in a visual perspective and, and again it's really hard to see that when you're just so fascinated i think as a you know like yourself and myself when you're coming out of the you know agnostic phase and into the new age phase when you're just so surprised that there is a spiritual realm there is something beyond us you're and it doesn't it, it, it you don't have any time to stop and, and take a look at your surroundings and realize that there's something missing here in the bookstore yeah and the, the sad thing about that whole experience is later as we drove back to uh the place where we that they had put us up at for, the, for this conference we were there for we passed uh at least a dozen Christian churches. Mm. And I had to bring up what I was seeing there. I said, here in this New Age bookstore, you have everything under the sun that doesn't even agree with each other, but it's acceptable to be under one roof. Yet we have 12 different churches that we just passed of different denominations that won't work with each other. Mm. Wow. That's, it that, really puts it in perspective. That's a sad thing. It is. How do we? How do we? How do we beat this enemy if we can't even be united? Great point. Something to consider for sure. I think it, it, we can't. We cannot do as much damage in the current state that we're in with all these different denominations. Exactly. So I, I appreciate you clarifying that. So you have experiencers that are having these negative, the, the abduction experiences, the abductees, the, the horrible experiences. You have people, the contactees that are having uh, more positive spiritual experiences, but that is all that regardless, there's still, there, that's one of the, the key components here. One of the overlapping com components is the new age element here is one of the different, is one of the parts that you're understanding was uh, it's an, a commonality here amongst people that had these uh, experiences with aliens. But so there's two other ones, though, which I think are important to highlight as well that you ended up finding out. Can you tell us what those other two were? Yeah, there's there's two major questions in the abduction realm phenomenon that all secular researchers are trying to get answers for. The first one is, why does this happen to some people? And that's what we're talking about right now. The other one is, we'll talk about it in a bit, is can this be stopped? They don't have answers for that. They say no on the second one, that it can't be stopped. 
But on the first one, because they don't have any evidence that it can. And then the, the first one is they don't understand the connection relationship between all these experiencers that tells them why this happens to certain people. Because when you look at the, the uh, polls on it and the statistics on it, these people come from all walks of life, all different areas that they live in. It, it, it's just not a commonality that they're seeing. But we did at CE4 Research. We found not just one answer for why people have this experience, but three different answers. And it could be that you you fit one of the answers or you fit a combination of one of the two or three of the answers. First one we found was absolutely obvious is people ask for the experience. And you go like, yeah, right, who would ask for that? Uh, curious people. Uh, myself, for one. I used to drive home from the uh, group I told you about, UFO group that was just north of me in Edgewater. Um, I used to go up there and give them updates, you know, as a MUFON rep. And I was so hungry for an answer that I used to drive down I-95 in my pickup truck on the way home from the meeting back to the Space Center area where I live, about 45-minute drive. You know, I was I was so wanting to experience something that, you know, I'd roll the window down and yell out the window, show me something, you know. I was one of those people who said, show me something. Give me some evidence. Give me an experience. Give me something. So, yeah, people do that. I've been at conferences where we set up our vendor tables in the vendor area to share our information with people. And hundreds, if not thousands of people will be walking around, you know, looking at your stuff. They don't realize right away that we're Christians. And all they see is the word abduction. And, you know, first comment they make to you is, yeah, I'd like to have that experience so I can understand what it's about. Be careful what you ask for. That's one. Number, that's number one. Number two was a little different. Number two was we found a commonality between experiencers by what they were involved in or interested in or participating in. And they were unknowingly let's use the term opening a door to this experience by being involved in or part of what they were doing. And these were people that all had the commonality of being involved in new age, metaphysical, occult, or paranormal interest or activities. By having even just an interest, you allow this experience to happen. Listen to me carefully. Just by having an interest, you allow this experience to happen. We found that the majority fit into that category. Until we came across certain testimonies that didn't fit into the first two at all. And I had to go, uh-oh, where it's driving this one. And this is where adults were coming to us and saying, you know what? I remember having these experiences since I was a child. I wasn't involved in any of that stuff, and I darn sure didn't know even to ask for it. So how do I fit into this? Why is this happening to me? So I had to reinvestigate this thing. 
I said, we need a whole different set of questions here. And then it came to me. They're children. They're not under their own, how should I say, they're not in control of their own lives. Who is? Their family, their parents. So I went back and I started asking them, what do you remember about your family life? What do you remember about your parents back then? What were they involved in? Were they churchgoers? Were they not? Did they, uh, you know, were they involved in any organizations? Every time, when it goes back to the children, I find that open door with the parents. Then, mm-hmm. and, and a great overlap there with the Bible, right? When it talks about. Uh, passing things down from generation to generation. I know some people kind of get antsy when you talk about generational curses, but I believe you can see, you can see this in every, you know, think about like uh, addictions that people pass, pass from generation to generation. I I see no reason to believe why something that as we'll understand has to do with the the spiritual realm here. It it can't be any different than something uh, physically passing it from a parent to child. Yes, and I, I can explain that a little better too. Sure. Uh, there, you know, some people don't like the idea of the, that curses could be passed down. You know, even mm-hmm. though biblical talks about it, but let's put it a little simpler way, more uh, secular. How would you explain this? Well, it's environment. Your social environment is being passed down. Uh, my parents were alcoholics. Their parents were alcoholics. That's all they know is to live their life in an alcoholic family to have an alcoholic family. So guess what? You're growing up in an alcoholic family. So science already knows that if you grow up in that environment, the odds are you becoming an alcoholic are very high. So just looking at it from a scientific aspect, if you grow up in the environment that is ungodly, then you're most likely going to be under that same deal. But the thing is, you look at what Scripture says. Scripture says that, and, and listen very carefully to this one, the spiritual covering over a family comes through the father. The father is the spiritual head of the household. Okay, If that father does not have the spiritual covering should be over that family, then the family is susceptible to the wiles of the enemy as he is. So it's very important, fathers, that you do have a good, strong relationship with the Lord and that you use that for protection over your family. If not, the enemy's there ready to eat them up. And that's exactly what I'm seeing in these experiences. These parents were involved in all sorts of strange things or things that were ungodly. That's an open door. And because that's the spiritual covering over the family, those kids are open just as much to it as they are. Hmm. So that's the generational. Until somebody gets right with God, that's going to continue into the next generation. Hmm. But we also know from scripture and from these testimonies that I share that once a person comes to the truth, once a person makes their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, once that person takes that point of stance and takes 
that spiritual head over their family, it stops. It doesn't pass on from there. And it's a that's a great segue. What I was going to ask you next, because from what I understand, eventually, uh, you know, as a researcher, you start to develop a hypothesis, or I, I should say, just a question. And that mm-hmm. question is, can Christians get abducted and have these types of uh, experiences? And from what I understand, you had an interesting answer, and and uh, that answer was kind of a it does kind of go both ways yes and no and you kind of describe that for us yes being that we were a research group and now we're looking at it from a new perspective we figured we'd throw out a, a hypothesis to work off of that's what science does so that was the question i put out there are christians being abducted by aliens we wanted to document that and put a statistic to it we knew that people of all walks of life were being but we decided just to pick one, make it easy, and see what the research says. Well, it surprised us because it was yes and no. And that just opened up a whole can of worms that we weren't expecting. Because what we found was there were two types of Christian believers. There were those that believed and walked the walk that Jesus asked us to, and then those that believed and talked the talk. They decided not yet to change their life, to become the new man. But they still believed. But they still dabbled. They still participated in a, you know their worldly life. They hadn't changed yet. They hadn't had that process of changing to being a true walk-the-walk believer. In the walk-the-walk believers, we never came across an experience but a walk-the-walk believer. Hmm. But in the talk-the-talk, the people that were still leaving doors open, yes, we found Christians that were dealing with the experience. Hmm. So eventually then, as you're going along here with C4, you also ask yourself, because again, these are horrible experiences that these people are are enduring here. It, was there any way to stop them? Was there any kind of defense that you, that you could come up with that worked and not only worked but worked on a consistent basis? And from what I understand, you you find that answer, but this kind of ties back into what we started this discussion off with originally, which mm-hmm. is the cover up that's going on. And so can you can you kind of take us through what happens as it relates to how to stop this and what is going on with this cover up? Yeah, this was a a fascinating uh, moment in our in our research. When I first came to the truth um, and became a believer. God showed me this was not what we thought it was. He showed me that this was very evil. This was demonic. I mean, I had my answer. God gave it to me. But I thought I was going to put this away. I wasn't going to participate in it. I said, all right, thank you, Jesus, for showing me what this is. Now I'm done with it. I'm ready to move on and become a walk-to-walk believer. Um, so I told my partner, I said, 
I don't want to be part of this anymore. And uh, I said, this is wrong. This is, this is not what we thought, what everybody thinks it is. We don't need to be participating with this. And he agreed. So we decided to shut it down and move on with our Christian lives. And uh, a couple of weeks went by, and I get this small, still voice. It's telling me, you're not done. You're not done. You're not done. And I'm like, where's that coming from? And, you know, people always talked about in the new age and everything about getting communication, but I never had that. But now I'm getting this voice that's telling me you're not done. I'm going, not done with what? You know, I said, God, if this is you, what am I not done with? And then I got the answer. You need to take this truth back to where you came from. And I'm going, oh, no, 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 no. I can't take this back to where I came from. These people don't believe in you. These people don't believe the Bible to be the inerrant word of the creator of the universe. They think it's written by a bunch of old men that were who knows what they were on. I said, I can't do this. And then not knowing any better as a new Christian, that you don't know, talk back to God, I said, you got to give me something better than this. And I thought, Okay, that takes care of that problem. Like now I can move on and become the believer I want to be. Well, <laughs> a couple more weeks go by and I get that you already have what you need. And I'm like, what? I already have what I need? I had no idea what that meant. So I talked to my partner and I said, you know, this is what I'm getting here. Do we have something that I don't know about? He says, the only thing we got are case testimonies. Maybe it's in there. So we went back and started looking at some of the older testimonies that we had recorded on VHS, if your listeners know what that is. <laughs> That's what we had at the time. And we came across one in particular that we had interviewed this gentleman. But I guess we didn't hear a thing he said. Because we darn sure didn't remember it. Which is an interesting thing in itself. And this was six months before I became a believer. So we listened to this story, and this gentleman's telling us that he had recently become a believer himself. Um, his wife was taking him to this little church where they lived in an area called Christmas, Florida, which was halfway between where I lived in Orlando, in a very rural area. And he tells this story about he had had sighting experiences. I knew him because he was coming to our meetings. He worked at the Space Center. He had actually had sighting experiences at the Space Center. He'd actually had abduction experiences while at work. That, that's a whole other story. But here he had become a new believer, gave his life to Christ, attending this little tiny church in Christmas, Florida with his wife, trying to learn to be what a Christian is. Brand new. And then he has this experience one night. It got dark. He was seeing lights over the tree line where he was at. Very, Like I said, very rural area. His dogs started barking. They were agitated. He was thinking maybe, you know, those lights must be drug or helicopters looking for drugs or something in the woods, which they do a lot of in Florida. But he didn't make nothing of it. He quieted his dogs down, went ahead and went to bed. When he went to sleep, he had this dream, what he thought was a dream, 
and it was absolutely horrific. And the dream was of an experience, touch and experience. And there was a point in the experience that was very painful. He felt like he was being held up on a pole, shoved up his rectum. And he was in sheer agony and pain and fear. And the only thing that could come to mind was what they had told him in that little church. Jesus is there to protect you. If you're ever in need of something, you cry out, Jesus, help me. So as a last resort, only thing that could come to his mind was what, that, what they told him. He says he called out, Jesus, 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 or Jesus, help me. And immediately, instantly, he was dropped into the bed and woke up. His wife woke up. Experience abruptly stopped. Gone. Period. Blink of an eye. And he's, we're sitting there looking at this testimony. I'm going, do you remember this? And my partner says, I had no idea what we just watched. And we're either seeing something that is made up, mistaken, or I don't know what. Maybe it was real. We had no answer for it. But we did know, I knew, that if this was real, this was huge. Because I told you that the secular realm has no answer to whether this can be stopped or not. They say it cannot. Everything that they had put out in the research that we had consumed to help protect these people told us that the experience could not be stopped. Everything, all the publications. So here I am puzzled by a testimony that we have where a guy stopped his experience while it was happening. And even more, how he did it. So I'm like, I don't know if this is real or not. But I know this would be huge if it is to the whole community. Because this backs up what the Lord showed me that this is not real and it's demonic and they have to respond to that name scripture tells us that so my only hope was to get an answer someplace from somebody else that knows this stuff so i contacted the leading researchers in the realm i got their phone numbers i called them up i said guys i got this unusual case here i wonder if you could help me with sure tell me what you got so i shared a story with him after each one sharing the story they all asked the same thing did we go off the record Meaning, I can't tell you who said what, but I can tell you what they said. I said, fine with me. I'm just asking for some help here. I said, I can respect your anonymity. I move on. That's a requirement that if somebody asks for anonymity, we have to give it to them by law. And I said, I'm bound by that. So no problem. I'm not going to reveal what, who says this. Just help me out. And their answer was, all of them, the answer was, we had come across very similar cases where people had prayed during the experience, hum a Christian hymn, recited prayer, or recited scripture, and the experience stopped. I said, wait a minute. Everything that we have read says it cannot be stopped. And now you're telling me that you've got case histories that have been stopped and all been stopped in this type of manner? And they're saying yes. 
And I said, well, my next question is, why have you never shared this? The answer that they gave me was, we didn't know what to make of it. And you know what? I could have walked away right there and been fine with that answer. No problem. You gave me an honest answer. But they weren't honest. And they knew they weren't. So they gave me another answer to back it up. And that answer was, we were afraid to go there because it might affect our credibility in the UFO realm. Just incredible. What do you call that? Withholding information. These are the people that everybody's relying on for the truth. And yet they're going to withhold information. What is that called? That's a cover-up. That's right. But yet they put all of the cover-up on the government. But yet the cover-up all along has been through the leading researchers in the UFO community. Because they want this UFO picture to look a certain way. But if you don't bring all the pieces to the table, all the puzzle pieces to the table, you're never going to get a full picture anyway. And I think that's what they're up to. This is why we don't have answers. Because they're not willing to bring all the pieces to the table. Hmm. So we went after knowing that now there were other case histories out there somewhere, like the one we had, we made it known as CE4 Research that we were looking for these testimonies. We ended up getting a newspaper article that we thought, we top of the world now, we made our local paper. And I actually have that on my website for people to read from 1997, where we talk about all of this. And we thought, somebody's going to see it. Well, little did we know how many would see it because I started getting, I put my phone number on it. I started getting calls from all over America. And I thought, how is that possible? This was a local article in the religious column on our local paper. And when I called the paper to find out why I was getting all these calls, they said, oh, uh, we're the Florida Today paper, your local paper, but we're an affiliate of Gannett which is a nationwide newspaper company. So they shared the article all over their other affiliates. So I was getting calls coming in that saying, I've done that. I've done that. So next thing you know, we got case histories. And then it gets even bigger. This is the beginning of the Internet at this time. And CNI News was a website that was up there. Michael Lindemann was the person that was running it. And he was putting up there all sorts of UFO paranormal news on there. And it got picked up on the Internet. He picked up that article and copied it and put it on his website. And it went worldwide on the early Internet. Next thing you know, I got stuff coming in from different countries. And then... The most noted UFO magazine in the history of ufology, um, Flying Saucer Review out of England. Uh, they're no longer around. They picked up that article from CNI News on the Internet, the same newspaper article that printed us locally, <laughs> and verbatim put it up on their magazine. 
Wow. And it went out to the whole UFO community. And I thought, we could not have done better marketing ourselves. Hmm. God made this go worldwide. So now we're out there where everybody on the planet that deals in this subject knows that we're there looking for these testimonies. So 25 years later, I've worked with over 600 personal cases. I've got about 400 documented testimonies, um, about 250 that I can actually share, that people give me the right to share publicly. But the question, they still come in. I got three in this past week. Their question that comes, that I have to ask everybody is, how many of these testimonies do you need to see that what I'm telling you is the truth? Because I don't want you to trust me. I want you to trust the evidence. And the evidence is these testimonies. And how many do you need to see that this is true? Because they're, never, they're, they're not stopping coming in. The more I do shows like this, the more I have an opportunity to share this information, the more new people that have had these experiences and maybe have stopped them will share their testimony for the next person to understand there is a hope that the rest of the world is not allowing you to see. The thing is, when we started posting these testimonies as our research evidence and findings, eventually you get to the point where you find somebody that sees these testimonies that is not a testimony themselves, but going through this experience, their life is upside down, and the next thing you know, they're calling me or emailing me going, can you help me? Well, we never saw that coming. And then I'm going, well, you know, we've gained enough information here that we can share with you, but the choice is yours. And we share with them the whole thing. And lo and behold, we were getting testimonies from them that it had worked for them. You know what you call that? What's that? Repeatability. In science, what you're looking for is that repeatability. Has anybody ever called down a UFO twice? No. I don't think so. There is not one repeatable event in the entire UFO phenomenon, except Stopping the UFOs. Stopping the experience right. by using the information that somebody else had stopped it by. Right. By teaching people what it takes to stop this experience, we can repeat this. Hmm. Incredible. So, in real quick, I want to go back to the, the leading researchers at the time that you had spoken to. I'm sure at this point that they've got to be pretty aware of you and, and, and all the testimonies that you've been able to amass. Isn't that right? Yes, they are. Um, I've talked to some of them over the years. I will tell you that in all the 20 some years I've been at this and sharing this information, they've never come at me about my work or my research findings. But over the years, new researchers, other researchers that I didn't talk to, have been real angry hmm. and real hostile toward this work. And one in particular, I will tell you, is he's not one of the ones I talked to. So I will give you his name. 
But he's come out and actually said publicly on air that these people, these testimonies that I have, have been able to stop this experience, that these people are deceived. And that's Dr. David Jacobs. Dr. David Jacobs, all of his work has been done through hypnotic regression. He's the one that came across and the idea that through these regression sessions with these people, that the whole concept of hybridization came out. That these people were having high, you know, hybrid babies with the aliens. They were being taken from them, blah, blah, blah. Let me give you an idea of what my understanding is of hypnosis and how this can, can be deceptive. If you were an experiencer, you had this horrible experience. Everything about it that you can remember looks like something that everybody else calls the abduction experience. And you want to find out if that's really what happened to you. Where do you go? Uh, they search They search out somebody that will listen to them, a UFO researcher that might even use a means to bring out the memories that they don't have. I see. And that's, that's a hypnotherapist that will regress them. Okay? So what's happened here? This whole scenario that I just put together, what's actually happening with that person? I would say that uh, this person is being led into a situation that is further further confirming what they want to believe. And who did that to them? I think the the, the hypnotherapist, did. right? No, they haven't yeah. met him yet. Mm. They did. They've mm. already predetermined, and the word is suggested to themselves, mm. that they are an experiencer, and they're mm. expecting to find answers. All these hypnotherapists is doing is giving you an opportunity to tell him those answers. Now, the hypnotherapist, he says that everything that happens under regression is absolute truth. Why is it that it's not accepted in court? <laughs> because it's not a total truth. Power of suggestion is the most amazing thing to study. And one of the places that my buddy Gary Bates introduced me to to look at some of this is there's a he's retired now uh from the from his from his shows but he used to have a series on in england um darren brown look him up on his youtube shows mind-blowing stuff the abilities that he was able to do as a stage hypnotist and you know somebody that works with messing with people's heads through the power of suggestion you will be amazed at what people can be convinced to do just by suggestion. And don't think you can't suggest it to yourself. Self-hypnosis, that's what we're talking about. You can convince yourself to do anything. This is what's happening here. When you give these people an opportunity to open their mind to a source that they have no control over, and you've already set the stage, Guess what? This enemy that we're dealing with here, these entities have the ability to make anything come out of your head, you know? And that takes us to the whole other aspect of this whole thing. Are these people actually being taken anywhere? There's no evidence to show that. It's actually, our research findings show the contrary. And this is something they don't talk about. 
when I started looking at this aspect of it, because some people say that this actually is a physical experience, I kept thinking, you know, there's something wrong here. There's those red flags again. I got to look at this a little deeper. So I did. I went back and re-interviewed the experiencers. Because when I first listened to their story, I just listened to their story and take it for what it is. Well, now I got to question their story. So I go back and I say, look, I want to go through your experience again. And let's take it step by step by step for what you remember. And this is what I found. If I was to ask you about your last birthday, you remember your last birthday. Remember what you did. You remember who was there. You remember everything. You you may not think you remember everything, but everything actually happened. If I ask you the right questions, I can get you to remember the things that you don't remember. Because why? They actually happen, and they're still here. The reason you're not remembering them completely, every instant of every minute that happened that day, is because you only remember the sensational things that are pleasing to you or not pleasing. But everything was recorded, like a tape recorder. Because it really happened. When I started doing the same questioning with these people about the experience itself, what I found is there were a lot of missing things. And the reason they're missing is because it wasn't real. And what do I mean by that? What I was seeing here is like if you went to a Broadway play And you're sitting there and you're looking at the stage and the scene that they're giving you is a living room scene. How do you know it's a living room scene? Because they put just enough objects on the stage to give you the impression that it's a living room. Is everything on that stage like you have in your living room? No. It doesn't need to be for you to get the impression that it's a living room. This is exactly what you get when you backtrack and investigate an actual experience. Not everything is there. Only the sensational part, whether it be good or bad, to make you believe that it was a real event. Okay? Hmm. Now, the hypnotherapist, the secular researchers will go say, no, they gave you a screen memory or they block your memories. No, they're not there because they didn't happen. In other words, what we're looking at here is an implanted visionary experience. Same as scripture tells us. Those happen there too. Dreams. But they're given visions with a message. The whole works. These entities can do this, okay? They can't read our thoughts, but they can give us thoughts. Here's the thing. The question about all of this is, who's the playwright? I would would think then it's the experiencer, right? The playwright's the enemy. Mm. They're giving you the experience. Mm. But they're keying off everything to make the experience personalized for you. This is why they're all so similar, but yet different, because they're personalized, because the intent of the experience 
is to make you believe it's real. Why? Because the outcome of anybody that comes involved in this experience, that opens up to this experience, it takes their eyes away from the one true God. It makes them doubt God's word in every instance. So what we're seeing here is a delusion. And the purpose of the delusion is to deceive us into believing God isn't real, God's word can't be trusted. You understand? Mm -hmm. Where do we see that in Scripture? Uh, anytime the enemy speaks, right? Even a bigger one. 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. That God will send them that God will send them a strong delusion. That they would choose the lie. What we're seeing here, what I believe that we're actually dealing with, is that strong delusion that's spoken of in Second Thessalonians that would happen near the end. This delusion has the ability, with its spirituality, with its pseudo-religion that replaces Christianity, with everything involved in it, the mistrust of God himself, to separate the wheat from the chaff. Hmm. Wow. So, so let's get to the root of this. Who's behind this? Well, that reminds me, that just makes me think about how, you know, God is the one who allows anything to happen, right? So it, it. so it would it would be God. Everything you know, the, even though the enemy is the one who wants to cause chaos and confusion, God is one that's allowing it. He's allowing it, and he actually brought this on. It says he would send a strong delusion. He's letting the enemy perpetrate it, but he sent this delusion, and this delusion is to separate those who truly believe and don't. Hmm. Remember, it says that this would be. This would be powerful enough to deceive the very elect, if it was possible. That's how powerful this delusion is. It's so complicated. It's so layered. It's so in-depth. It's so hard to investigate that it's that easy and that powerful to make people believe it. Mm. Wow. And people believe it on faith alone. Without even evidence, people become convicted and converted to be believers. And as soon as that happens, they are no longer followers of God and Jesus Christ. And that's something that you haven't seen change, I would think, since you started investigating this since in, in the 90s. You haven't seen those three big commonalities change. No. Uh, yeah, just... Yeah, absolutely mind-boggling to think that that is something that has, has stayed the same. Those three variables are, have stayed the same throughout all this time, and yet there are still people uh, that refuse to look at that. Um, it just, it's just, I think at some point, I think it's kind of like you were telling me before we started recording, I think at some point you just have to choose whether or not you're going to accept the truth or not. Sure. You, you know what the difference is in, in the whole thing is – this UFO realm is offering a different type of spirituality. They offer 
a spirituality without accountability. That's seductive. Because Christianity has you accountable for what you do. People don't like that. They don't want to be accountable for what they do. And if you offer them a spirituality where you don't have to be accountable, oh, yeah, I'm up for that. Yeah. It just and it's just, all based on the same lie from the garden. Right. It's all based on special knowledge. You know, that whole special knowledge, you too can be like God's by knowing by eating this. You know, this will open your eyes. It's it's the woke syndrome. You think being woke is a good thing? That's not a good thing. People think it is. Yeah, great, great point. It, it, nothing has changed, has it? This is really all comes back to where it all began. It's good we come full circle. It's a repackaged lie. Hmm. It's just, it's just the new facade to fit the time and to fit the culture. And the reason I say culture is because something else that a lot of people don't know about in this realm. Before I came to Korea, I used to listen to all the big wigs and you know their talks on this. They said, yeah, this is a worldwide phenomenon. Yes and no. There are reports from around the world, but that doesn't make it a worldwide phenomenon. You don't have this stuff happening here in Korea. They get their sightings because they're getting caught up seeing the internet and seeing the, the TV and all of that. But they just misidentified, but they're starting to look at it. But when I got here 10 years ago, there was next to nothing. And I'd ask people about this phenomenon. What do you think about it? You know, is this stuff happening here? And they go, oh, we don't have time for that. That was my answer from the Koreans. Like, what kind of answer is that? So I finally, after getting that many, many times from the Koreans, I finally went to a good Korean friend of mine. I said, what does this mean? We're too busy for that. We don't have time for that. They said, well, they're being serious. These people, you know, the kids go to school 10, 12 hours a day. Then they do homework. Um, the parents are working to pay for all of that. So they're either farmers in the field all day long working. They ain't got time for that. Or they're busy running a business, and they don't have time to get involved with this. Or they're busy working full-time and overtime and to pay for their kids' education so they can be better. So... No, they don't have time for this. And what do I mean by that? Is because when you look to America, kids don't want to go to school all day. Most of them don't. You know, most of them look to see how they can skip class or skip the day. Workers, they want more time off. They don't want to work overtime. You know, they got they want more leisure time. And what do they do in that leisure time? Oh, they look at crazy stuff on the internet. They open doors to things they shouldn't be because they think what? Oh, I'm woke. I got to look at all this stuff. Uh, look what happens when you do. Biggest country in the world for sightings and abductions, America. Who runs second, third, fourth, and fifth, and sixth? The other modern, westernized countries like Europe, like Australia. Okay, because they got time on their hands. Koreans are too busy. I've done about 20 trips to Japan for my job. I got to look at that culture. 
got to talk to friends over there. I asked them the same thing. You know, Japan actually has UFO cases. You have UFO groups. They even had, about 10 years ago, their prime minister's wife came out and said she was an abductee. You ain't seeing that in Korea. But you know why you see it in Japan? Because when I look at Korea and I look at Japan, my feelings about Japan is they're about 30 years ahead of Korea. In Maybe not in technology now, but in their movement from nothing. Remember, after World War II, they were nothing. We had to come in and help them rebuild. Same thing happened to Korea in, in 53. When the war was over, this country was obliterated. Everybody had to come in and help them build, rebuild. So Japan rebuilt quick. Korea, not so quick, even though it is pretty quick. 65 years, they come a long way. Um, but Japan built real quick because we went right in there and, and did that one with them. Um, so they've gotten to the point where they were successful, where they wanted to be. And then they say, okay, I'm successful. I'm going to relax a little bit. And what do you do when you relax? You got time on your hands and you start looking at crazy stuff. And guess what happens? Crazy things happen. Like in America, where lots of crazy things happen because Americans got too much time on their hands. You relate that to Korea, they don't have any time on their hands. If they do, they spend it with family. So it's an interesting thing to say that, looking at it logically, this whole, relate, this whole phenomenon is based on what? Time on your hands. <laughs> That's really fascinating. I've never thought about it from that perspective. Nobody uh, does. Yeah. yeah I, and I was wondering as well, how, do you think part of it too is just like with, with places that come with that Judeo-Christian foundation, do you think that that's just more of a target for the enemy? No, we're, humanity is the target all the time because from the beginning of Scripture to the end of the Bible, um, the whole thing is about destroying humanity and proving God wrong. That's what the enemy wants to do. You know, and, and this is just one aspect of this battle, this phenomenon. I mean, look at the other ways that the enemy's using to destroy humanity. You know, he's taking the concept of family away from us, he, you know, that we don't have to do that. Uh, he's taking God out of the picture in our schools, in our, you know, our studies. Uh, he's got it to where it, you, know, you offend people now. If you talk about Christianity, it's offensive, you know. Not only that, look how he's deceived humanity into believing that, oh, it's okay to have a few drinks. Next thing you know, your life is wasted because you become an alcoholic. Oh, it's okay to do these drugs. It's mind-opening. Next thing you know, you're a junkie. You know, Oh, it's okay to take these pills. Next thing you know, you're overdosing on you know, oxycodone. There's eighty to 90,000 human beings overdosing and dying dying of just that one drug in America every year, not to count everything else that the enemy's convinced us of destroying ourselves with. This, this war on humanity is so mind-blowing, and this is just one battlefield. And the battlefield that God's have me working in to try and help these people that are spiritually deceived in mm -hmm. this. So 
looking at what you're doing now for, for MUFON, is it pretty similar to what you were doing before then when you first started all this, just as it relates to just uh, writing and mm -hmm. uh, researching the UFO sightings? Sure. I just did a great uh, investigation case that they sent me here just recently. Um, I can talk a little bit about it. The guy had uh, been taking pictures of the moon um, with, it, with his phone camera on a tripod. Really nice Samsung phone. Great camera they got. I mean, really great. Not advertising for him, but yeah, it's really good. And he's using it to take pictures, videos of the moon. Well, when he goes back and looking at the videos, he's seeing what in the UFO realm are called fast walkers. And a fast walker is you see something that goes across the moon's surface. They got termed fast walkers a long time ago. So he sees this and he sends a MUFON report in on the website. That's how you do reports now. You send it in. And then MUFON trickles it down on where it is, and they, they contact the rep in the area and says, hey, can you handle this case? Which me, being the national director for South Korea, I got the case. So I had the guy send me the I contacted him, had him send me the videos. I had a buddy of mine interpreting for me because the guy didn't speak English. And I'm looking at these videos and looking at the videos and looking at the videos, and it is it's really a good case because he really thought he had something there because he kept capturing this over and over. And then I realized that because he was keeping it on a tripod and you know that the earth's moving all the time, right? It's rotating. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what happens when you look at the moon or the stars on a fixed camera because of the rotation? I'm guessing it's blurry. The moon moves through your field of view mm. okay that's what i was seeing with the moon oh, interesting and then you would see the objects as 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 the moon was i'm trying to do this as the moon was moving down right you would see two objects that appeared to move across the moon huh. and i kept watching it and watching it and watching it then i finally took a measurement on my screen and I'm going, you know what? Those objects aren't moving. The moon's moving. But it makes it appear that they're moving across the moon. Huh. It was wow. something on his lens. Oh, interesting. That's how simple yeah. huh. people can be deceived. But when yeah. you, if I was not to tell you any of that information and just show you one video, you're going, whoa, what is that? Right. You know? Right, I could have right. I could have been somebody sharing that video, which is a lot of what happens on this phenomenon anymore. Everybody wants their two minutes of fame. Yeah. So so that's really cool. So you're st so you're still uh, researching, investigating UFO phenomenon, and I would think that you would not. I, I would think that that would be a, a, a spiritual bridge too far to use the information that you've been able to gather for CE four then to bring back to MUFON. I would think that there's just not a lot of support going in that direction is that um, true that's true um first of all they don't like to look at the paranormal which they would call this that i work with because you can't scientifically research paranormal okay they're right. doing scientific investigations but they do know that this is a piece of the puzzle i've had the opportunity in 27 years i've been a member of mufon to talk to five of the six different 
executive directors that have been in charge of MUFON. And I've been able to share with them exactly what I do for my research. All of them were quite fascinated. All of them felt that I did the work the right way, according to MUFON scientific standards. And they also agreed that MUFON could not support that stance. And I said, fully understand. I even had one of them told me that, you know, if you could get this down to about a 45 to 50 minute talk and not scare them off with religion, but get your findings across, we'd probably get you an opportunity to share this at the symposium, one of the symposiums. Um, haven't had that opportunity yet. Hmm. It's hard to get this down to that short of a talk. Yeah. Yeah. As you're seeing, there's so much we haven't even covered yet. Oh, I'll bet. You know. Uh, so that's something you could see down the road, but you, you, but it sounds like at this point you're skeptical then of them taking on the whole gamut, the spiritual gamut. You, you, that's just, it seems like something that is way far off, even if it, if it ever does happen. I don't think they need to. Um, they're, they're, they're covering one of their own pieces of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. And there are so many pieces of this puzzle. I wouldn't want everybody to grab the same piece because every piece is part of that puzzle. If their part is not true, that's okay. That's a piece that still needs to come to the table to show the picture for what it really is. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I promote MUFON. I promote MUFON, even though it's a secular organization, I still promote it because. The teachings and the trainings you get to be a field investigator in MUFON teaches you to do the scientific research method properly so that you can be accepted in peer review, okay? This is not based upon belief, just, oh, I believe in the aliens are real. No, you have to show that. You have to show evidence. And it teaches you to glean that evidence the proper way, the proper procedure, so that it can be accepted for what it really is. And that is why I promote MUFON. At least go and do the work, learn the work, learn the proper way to do the work so that you will get hurt, whether they like it or not. You will have an opportunity to say, and you're also, we just saw right now, you're, you're still able to help people out, even if it's not at a, you know, at a spiritual level, you're able to discern what was going on for that, that person there in South Korea. So I think a lot can, uh, there's a lot of good that can be got, that can be had from that, especially as it relates to your several years of, of experience. Sure. And a, another opportunity being with MUFON is too, is if I'm called out to talk to people in the MUFON hat that I wear, um, we always get to the end of the work I'm doing with them. and. You're about to leave, but they always like to ask you that question. Off the record, what do you think this is? One minute. Let me take off my MUFON hat, and now you're talking to Joe Jordan. You're not talking to MUFON. You cannot quote me as being MUFON. I'm talking to you as what you asked me. What do I think this is? And that gives me an opportunity to share the truth. Hmm. That's really cool. I want to I want to go back real quick for the final question. Uh, going back to square one, then when you looked at this 
uh, the the Roswell book that you showed us previously. For those of us that are that are watching, you you actually showed the book to us. The one that you started off with in 1992. If you were to take all the experience that you've been able to, there you go, the uh, right there. Um, if you if you were able to take uh, all the experience, the cumulative experience that you've had over the last few decades in this field, and look back at that particular case, do you think that you have enough information to understand what happened there at Roswell? I do, yes. What would that be? That it was a, it was an event that was covered up because it was high security. It was sensitive information. And if you at, were at at that time, at that time, and and you would think then that there there was just as we've been discussing here uh, a demonic overlap in what happened that day. No. I don't. I think that what happened with Roswell to become the American myth, UFO myth, is the enemy hijacked it mm. and was able to use the whole crazy conspiracy aspect of it to make it to where it became a myth that could never be proved or, you know. Um, but it's it's a hook that is used, the enemy can use to bring people in worked on me. Mm. So you, so you do believe some, something happened that day that was that the government was unable to exactly pinpoint the, the origins of, uh, but the, oh, you don't they, believe, they knew they, oh, they knew. knew. Okay. They knew. That's why it was, that's why we don't know what this is. Mm. I this see. was sent. This was sensitive at the time. Uh huh. Yeah. And now that now it's gotten, see, here's my concept <laughs> of, when people ask me, does government know what we're dealing with? Maybe, maybe not, but who cares to them because they're riding the UFO wave because everybody thinking it's extraterrestrial. Then all the secret stuff they're seeing flying around and calling it alien. It's perfect cover up for them. Mm. And they, it isn't even costing them anything. Wow. What better way to cover up your secret stuff than than to let the the public do it for you? No kidding. No kidding. Talk talk about working smarter and not harder. Uh-huh. A much more cost-effective way to do it. But I think they're at a point to where that's changing. And the mm. things that we're seeing shown to us here over the past few months from the Navy I think that is a whole nother gamut of information. Mm. And I, I don't think they, they may know what that is, but they're not about to release it because if they truly know what it is, which Elizondo, Louis Elizondo is kind of hinting at, then the information is too shocking for the government to be the one to release it. Right, right. And he, I'm sure. he, says, he says, we need to figure this out. Yeah. And you know why that is? Because when you figure it out, you own it. If you let somebody else tell you what it is, you don't own it. You may not accept it. Mm -hmm. But if you came to the answer yourself, it walks like a duck. It talks like a duck. It swims like a duck. It must be a duck. Mm -hmm. If you do that 
and figure it out instead of somebody telling you that's a duck. Well, we have a tendency to rebel and go, well, maybe it's not a duck. But if you figure it out yourself, you own it. And that's what they're wanting us to do with this phenomenon. If you really carefully listen to Louis Elizondo's talks, he's telling you, you need to figure this out. Maybe we need to look at this from a different perspective. What perspective is he talking about? Maybe one we haven't looked at yet. The one that I've been trying to share that nobody will look at. Hmm. He tells you these things seem to have been here all along. They seem to be from here. Okay? He's talking about the same thing the Bible says. Angels have been here all along. They've been here all along. He's given you the hints, but you have to say it. It's like the movie, um, what's the one where they went back and changed the guy's mind in the dreams? Uh, Inception. Inception. Yeah. This is identical to Inception. They're giving us everything for us to, the guy had to own it. It had to be his idea to make it work, to make it actually believable. This is what they're trying to do. The government's doing with this disclosure. They wanted to make it to where we own it. It's our idea. Mm. Otherwise, we won't accept it. Kind of reminds me of God in a way, letting us get to our lowest point before we, we accept him. I think that it, it comes back to that, that free will. Um, yeah, you know, if exactly. we, if we come there on our own terms, I think it's a lot easier. And if we're, if we're forced to do, that's why, you know, you think about, uh, all those different, you know, the different countries where there, where there's no, there's no freedom there. Um, I think that that really overlaps with the idea of free will. There can't be any love in, in that kind of a relationship where there's no free will. And so exactly. that's, it really comes back to God, to God and, uh, just free will and openness to, to you, uh, there's a quote I think I've shared on the podcast before. But if I, I can't remember it, I'll go ahead and share it again here, which I really like. Which is, you must you must love someone else in such a way that the other person feels free. And I think that that really perfectly encompasses this phenomenon. And I, and I think it also encompasses the uh, God and our relationship with God. You, you can't exactly. be forced. You can't be forced to believe anything. It just doesn't work that way. You have to come there on your own. Exactly. Joe, this has been absolutely phenomenal. And uh, I want to make sure that before we wrap up here, that we give people an opportunity to see uh, where they can contact you. Uh, and you have a book out already, and I know there's some I'll, I'll coming along here in the pipeline. Let's first start off with your website here. Uh, for those of you that are listening, it's uh, piercingthecosmicveil.com. And I'll put these in the description as I do every week as well. Uh, can you kind of give us an understanding of what uh, you have there on your website? Well, the website is an incorporation of everything that we've been able to put together for in our findings for 25 years. Um, you can actually use a simpler redirect. CE4research.com is a redirect. You can actually use that. It'll take you right there. Um, I built this particular website when the book came out and was moving everything from my CE4 research site over to this site. And uh, I'm still adding more stuff in there. Um, it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. But the main focus of all of our information is right here. Um, you can also go to my YouTube channel. All the conferences I've done, the radio, the podcast shows I've done like these, um, I post them all up on my um, YouTube channel, CE4 Research YouTube. And, of course, we got a CE4 Research Facebook page where I try to post everything on there, too, that people are using the Facebook social media. 
you also have uh, a book out right now, Piercing the Cosmic Veil. There's a there's a subtitle to that one as well. Um, from what I understand, there's some fa- fantastic testimonies there. Uh, can you yeah. kind of take us through that and, and the other the books that are in the pipeline? I I've been posting testimonies all through the years, you know, for peer review on our website. Um, but I've I've lost access to the website to be able to manipulate it myself. That's why I've moved it over to a new one where I can control it. Um, but I've been collecting testimonies that I've never been able to share anywhere, you know. And I figured that when I come out with that first book, the Piercing the Cosmic Veil, um, you shall not be afraid of the terror by night, which that comes from Psalms ninety one, and I decided to put a lot of those unseen testimonies in there, and I've got over sixty unseen before testimonies in that in the back of that book. Wow. But I'm still sitting on another hundred and fifty or so that I've still yet to share. So I'll be putting a little bit more in each of the other books, and eventually they'll all be up on the website. You know, it's a lot to upload all that stuff in print, and uh, a lot of it'll be up there. So, so piercing the cosmic veil, uh, you can type that one into Amazon right now. That that book will pop up uh, right away. Uh, coming out, uh, he believes Joe believes in January that the next book in the series, Unholy Communion: Casualties of a Cosmic War. Uh, so, and from what I understand, that's going to be pretty pretty similar to the first one in terms of testimonies, but in a, in a really cool uh, layout that that you had described to me before we started recording. Yeah, and just uh, a kind of a hint of how that book is going to go. Um, I actually did that same talk of that title, and the book's going to kind of follow that flow of format. Uh, you can go to my CE4 Research YouTube uh, channel and look at that same title for the conference I did, conference talk I did in Roswell at the UFO Festival in 2010 before I came to Korea. And uh, I'm, the book's going to follow that same same idea and same line but there'll be again there'll be a lot of testimonies that i haven't shared in that book also yeah that's awesome and uh joe has also been kind enough to provide his contact as well and that's ce4 uh the the letter c is in charlie e is in edward number four president at yahoo.com again i'll put that in description as well uh so if anybody has any uh, testimonies they want to share with Joe or just need any help as it relates to the, the abduction experience. Uh, Joe is more than happy to provide insight and, and, uh, help there with, with his, as we've already discussed, you know, several decades worth of experience here. That's really yeah, kind of him to do that. And I'll answer you. It may take me a little bit if I'm busy, but I will answer you. I had a gentleman that, you know, he was pretty persistent. I figured I better answer this guy. And, uh, I ended up spending about three hours with him last night. Um, he was out of England. And uh, an experiencer had a lot of questions and needed answers to him and understanding. And a fantastic talk I had with him. He's actually from Hungary. And uh, I got a whole lot of insight of, you know, that type of experience with people from a whole nother culture that I wasn't familiar with. He actually comes from a communist background uh, culture where there was no God, there is no religion, you know, and. I got a whole new insight on how people are, you know, are exposed to that and how it affects them. But, uh, yeah, I'll get back with you. Hmm. That's, that's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, Joe, thank you again so much for taking the time to share your insights and, and your background with us and for being so gracious with your time. I really, really appreciate it. This has been phenomenal. And uh, I look forward to continuing to see the work that you do because it's incredibly important. And as I told you before we started recording, I wish that I would have found out about your work a long time ago. Uh, it would have saved me a lot of a lot of uh, time, a lot of, a lot of pain there. Um, but I'm so happy that I found it, as you you told me as well. Everything in God's timing, and uh, you know, I'll continue to be praying for your ministry. We we need you, I think, now more than ever. So thank thank you so much. Sure, you know, I call this my research the best kept secret in ufology. You know, I've been there for 25 years, but yet people still it's hard for them to come across me. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, I think that you know the more that you do these types of, uh, talks and the, in the, in the more that you're able to get the testimonies out, I think that the testimonies are so powerful. And, and, uh, you know, even if it's just, uh, as you've been doing a, a few people here and there that you, that you're able to help that adds up. And you were talking about, as we said before, experiences that are absolutely brutal and horrifying and to, to just help one person stop uh, experiencing that is, is huge. So uh, I'm just incredibly thankful that, uh, for everything that you're doing. So I'll be Thank praying you. for you. Yeah, and thank you. Awesome, awesome show you got here. Hey, you're, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. All, all glory to God. You're good at this. You're, you're gonna you're gonna do real well. Well, thank you so much. Well, that is it for the show, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you found this to be entertaining or informative, or hopefully a combination of the two, please rate and review us wherever you're listening to us in your podcast app, and please subscribe to us on YouTube if you're watching there. Uh, please feel free to as well share this with one person that you know that you think would also maybe find this to be entertaining or informative. Just one person. Um, again, we don't have the big marketing budgets that other people uh, have in this in the podcast realm. So uh, we really rely on you to get the word out about us, and, and we really appreciate that. Um, I always say that that could be the very act that helps someone else find the podcast that you've been enjoying. So thank you so much for for doing that and for everything that you do to support the show. I really, really appreciate that. And um, maybe you are someone like Joe had mentioned, an, an alien abduction experiencer. And if that is you um, or you have uh, your own, let's say, miracle, uh, miracle healing, uh, new age to Jesus testimony, uh, prophetic dream, encounter with an angel or demon, please submit your written story or a video to spirit answers podcast at gmail.com um thank you so much for doing that we cannot keep this going without your support and uh, your story so i really appreciate you taking the time to do that and also as as i do every week just want to remind you real quick about our facebook group um really the only other place that you can find us on the internet besides uh, wherever you find this podcast just on facebook uh spirit answers is all you have to type in uh, we would love to have your prayer requests over there. Um, your testimony can be shared over there. And uh, it's a great place to interact with many of the guests that we have on the program as well as get a sneak peek of next week's episode. Also, as I do every week, I want to give you an opportunity as maybe somebody that is not already uh, in a relationship with with the creator. Um, hopefully this, this episode, uh, if that is you, kind of gave you an inkling that perhaps there is something more out there than just the physical and, and there could be some truth to this whole God thing. And if that's you, I want to ask you to do something that doesn't, it doesn't take a lot of commitment. It just takes maybe a little bit of uh, um, determination and uh, just a little bit of time every day. And that's to ask God to reveal himself to you in a personal way. And um, you can do this over just a, a period of time. And I guarantee you that if you are truly searching for uh, spiritual meaning in life, you're truly searching for truth, 
that this will be a um, exercise that will yield great results in your life. And uh, you can do it through prayer or out loud. It, whatever that is, I guarantee you that it will uh, yield some results for you. And um, just I thank you for doing that as well. Um, the more people that are understanding of the spiritual realm and that all this stuff is real, um, that God is real, um, the more I think that we can uh, change the world. I think that that's really the way that, you're, that we're going to see change is not through uh, trying to force people to to maybe change their actions uh, from, a, from a logical perspective, but I think it has to be a heart change. There has to be a spiritual uh, makeover for someone, and uh, this is really where it all begins. So um, looking forward to uh, seeing how that goes for you, and I'm looking forward to seeing you next week on the show. As always, I will be praying for you. We will see you all next week on the show. Have a great week, everybody. Bye-bye.